we are in a series. We've been in this series called In Gloucester As It Is In Heaven. Anybody say amen? In Gloucester As It Is In Heaven. And it's not just, you know, in Gloucester, but in your life. On earth, wherever you find yourself, in Belmar, in Lindenwald, in wherever you come from, as it is in heaven. And I'm telling you now that this particular message is one of the most important sermons that I have ever preached. We are coming to the place in Jesus' teaching where he teaches us about anger. And anger lays a path of destruction all around us. Anger has wrecked countless lives. Untamed anger has been, it's like this, it's untamed anger is like a cry out, an anti-prayer, a cry out for hell to break out in this world. So when we pray, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we're praying, we're praying for heaven to break into this world. But when we say to somebody, you know what, you go to hell. What are we doing? We're letting hell break out in us and it's hitting other people and taking all types of damage. And of course, we know it doesn't end with words, and we're going to get to that. It doesn't end with words. (laughs) It just keeps going and going until it consumes us. But our prayer is for heaven to break in, not for hell to break out. Our prayer is for heaven to break into our lives, into our broken hearts, for heaven to break into our broken souls, for heaven to break into our broken marriages, for heaven to break into our broken kids. Let's be honest and our broken bodies. What does it look like for heaven to be breaking into our bodies, into our uncertain and frustrating jobs at times? We are praying your kingdom come, your will be done in every area of our lives as it is in heaven. Let us look at what Jesus has to teach us about anger. So we're going to look at the passage, Matthew 20, Matthew 5, 21 to 26. You can follow along with the screen behind me. And I also want you to know that we have Bibles in the back. And if you don't have a Bible to read at home, you can use the Bible we read at church, which is a very clear and fairly easy translation to understand. And if you don't have a Bible like that, please take one home. It's our gift to you. We want you to be able to read God's word in your home. All right. You have heard it heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. Whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to 
judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on your way with him to court or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out of there until you've paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Some of you have heard this story, but not all of you have. I remember about 10 years ago, I had this kid in my house. We were living over in North Philly. We were shaking back and forth. Couldn't really understand what he was saying. And as he shook back and forth, he just kept saying, after I listened in, you know, it just ain't right. It just ain't right what they did. It just ain't right. And I said, like, Chris, what's wrong? You know? Like, what's going on? And after a while, after the shock wore off, he calmed down enough to tell us what happened. What had happened was his niece, just the day before, his niece owed some people a, some trivial amount of money, like 50 bucks. And these guys came over to his niece and pushed her down on the ground and put a gun right, in the, right on her neck and held her down with their knee and told her, you get us this money or we're just going to end you. So Chris looks up at us. He tells us this story. There's a couple other people in my living room listening to him. And he said, I got a cousin right around the corner. He's got a gun in the basement. I'm going to go get it. And I'm going to go take care of this. I'm going to go take care of this situation. Because it's not right what they done to my niece. you a question. What did Chris need? Did he need an anger management class? Was that going to fix him? We're told by society all around us that you must vent your anger, let it out, right? Or you have to manage your anger. So I'm going to do the the Jesus thing, okay? You're told that you must, you've heard that you got to vent your anger or you got to manage your anger. But I'm telling you tonight that you got to conquer your anger. And the title of our sermon tonight is Conquering Anger. It's got to be in your service. It's got to be something that you possess, not something that possesses you. It's the very language that God warned Cain, right? Cain's about to kill his brother Abel. And he says, look, anger is like crouching. 
and is about to attack you and you better take over it before it takes over you. And we know how that went. Cain let his anger get the best of him. He put anger in the driving seat. What we need to hear tonight as we think about this issue of anger is that God is not calling you and I just to to be nice. See, he did not hang on the cross for six hours and suffer for us all for you to be able to just manage your anger, for you to be like a robot. He didn't hang on the cross to make you like Ned Flanders. Anybody seen The Simpsons? Right? Oakley doakley. Right? Just like always have that fake face of niceness. God died for so much more than that. He wanted to make you new. Not just so you could fake it. Not just so you could pretend to be nice when you're not. He didn't die for you to be like Spock. I'm just letting you know all my nerd cards. Simpsons. Star Trek, that's what you get every week, sorry. But like he didn't die for you to be like Spock, just to, just to be devoid of all emotion. Chris's real issue wasn't his inability to fake social situations. Listen to me, most of us learn to what they call fake the funk, right? Most of us learn that there are places you have to be nice. Like, let's just make up an example. Say you work at Royal Farms, and somebody comes in, and they're ignorant to you. And you know, what do you say? You say, have a nice day. (laughs) And you got the big smile, right? And you just take it. You take it all day long, and you work, and you don't make no big scene because you know that you're in a situation where you, you can't, or you'll lose your job. Ah. But then you come home, <laughs> you open that door, nobody took the trash out, kids running around in dirty diapers, dogs all hype, you kick the dog, you mean to the kids, you start yelling, maybe you say, you know what, tonight the sky is going to fall. I remember when I was a kid, when there were a few times, and I remember sitting out the back, and my stepfather would be like, the sky's gonna fall tonight. Sometimes it's not the yelling, right? Sometimes it's real quiet. That's the scariest, right? And you, you just know something bad is coming. Storm is coming. See, Chris didn't need to fake the funk. He didn't need to power through with seven tips to control himself, do some yoga, hit the heavy bag, run around. Now listen to me, all of those things, all of those things can be helpful, right? Like all of us could learn to manage our anger better. All of us could learn to deal with conflicts better. All of us could exercise. All of us could do all those things. But when you've got a situation like Chris, none of those, those are like band-aids on a mortal wound. He needed hope. He needed hope exercising, good social skills, whatever class he was going to take, wasn't going to give him hope. 
He needed to know he was significant. He needed to know that he was loved. This is the kind of guy that had the, the, the sort of family that he would try to go get his license and his mom that he lived with would sabotage his plans to get a license. Like, you ain't better than me. Why are you trying to get a license? Nah, you got me today. You're not, give me that money. How, you got money for, what are you doing? And so when he looked down into his future, what did he see? He saw, well, I'm probably gonna end up like in jail or dead anyway, right? So he didn't see a future and he didn't have a hope. Jesus died not to make us nice, but to make us new, to make us new creations. And in this passage, we see that Jesus gives us, first of all, a new heart. And we're gonna see how this new heart that we have, we see that it overflows into our need for a new mouth. <laughs> I'm not looking at you for no reason, Elaine, but <laughs> right? all need new mouths. Let's just be real. Every single one of us, right? And we need new hands. Because some of us like to throw hands, okay? And we, we need God to come into our lives and give us a new heart, a new mouth, and new hands. Here's a great line from Bishop T.D. Jakes. And, and by the way, I don't agree with everything T.D. Jakes teaches, but he is a master in this area of emotions and all of this teaching of how you can control yourself and all these things. And he says, you can't confiscate the weapon because you gave yourself a license to carry. Do you catch what he's saying? You can't confiscate the weapon. Basically, you can't, nobody can confiscate your weapon because you gave yourself permission to be angry for a really long time. And now at this point, nobody's grabbing that from you. Nobody's grabbing that from you. We've bought into this idea that you have to let it out. We celebrate anger. And when we're supposed to, when we're supposed to be conquering it, right? You heard it said, you shall not murder. But Jesus says, but I say to you, anyone who's angry with his brother or sister and his heart has murdered them. Listen, Jesus is the greater Moses. You remember last summer we talked, we, we, were in the, we studied Exodus. You remember when Moses came down from the mountain? It's not a coincidence that this sermon, that this message of Jesus is on a mountain. It's on purpose. Here we have Jesus giving the law in its fullness. Last week we talked about how Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And now he's gonna go for the next five weeks, including this one at six, he's gonna take six issues, six areas of the law, six areas of our lives, and he's going to show how he fulfills it. He's gonna show how it's really, what is the key word to Jesus's whole relationship to the law? You could say the key word is heart. It's all about the heart. It's not just about what people see. It's not just about what you do. It's not just about what you say. It starts in the heart. It starts in your thoughts. 
it starts in your desires. For him, it's all about the heart. And, he, and he's revealing this on the mountain, much like Moses did when Moses came down Mount Sinai. And right in line with the prophecy God gave in Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27, he says, it says there, I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. So Moses had these tablets that God wrote with his fingers, right? And carved out on these stone tablets his Ten Commandments. But with us, Jesus writes his heart, writes his very law, our hearts. What does that mean? It means when you're in a relationship with Jesus, you know what you know you want to please him. You don't need post-its everywhere reminding you. You don't need to put a post-it on the door as you leave, like, don't kill anybody today. Don't cheat anybody today. Don't lie on anybody today. God just gives you that desire in your soul when you're in a relationship with him. And see, see what happens is, is that we get this new heart, and that's what this passage is crying out for. If you read the passage, you're just like, wow. And you keep reading, and then Jesus starts talking about how it's better for you to just lose limbs, lose hands, do whatever you got to do to get into the kingdom of heaven. And it leaves you in this desperate spot, and it's meant to leave you in this desperate spot where you're like, well, Jesus, you said I should... I should just get rid of the things that make me stumble. But then you said, really, the real problem is your heart. So he says in Luke 6, 45, he says, the good person out of the good treasure of the heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. For it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So this is, we need a new mouth, right? But according to Jesus, whatever you think about him, he's worth paying attention to, by the way. His whole idea, his ethics here, and how it, it's not just what you do and what you see. Like, this has changed the world. This is radical. This was new, and it's still new. Because a lot of times... We try to push it down. We try to forget about this. He says, listen, you cannot withdraw what's not been deposited. You, when I go um, to the ATM, I don't know about you, and don't imitate me on this. This is not a great, this is not a great thing. But when I check the ATM, it's always like a total mystery what the number is going to be when it spits out. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and, I, and I, I pull it and I look at the slip and sometimes I'm like, wow, cool. There's some stuff in there. Cool. But more often than not, <laughs> right? More often than not, I look at that number 
And I'm like, that's not right. That must be a mistake. (laughs) What's going on here? If you're not getting any deposits, doesn't matter how often you go to the ATM or which ones you go to, nothing's coming out. Nothing good's coming out. Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, how do you have good treasure in your heart? Well, you have to have that deposited in you before you can withdraw it. You can't love other people if you've never been loved. You can't care about other people if you don't feel cared about. It's going to be real hard. I mean, Jesus said, I mean, I'm sorry, Paul says that a man ought to love his wife as he loves himself. So take care of your wife like you take care of your own body. Well, if a guy don't even take care of his own body, doesn't care about himself, isn't comfortable in his skin, and has all kinds of baggage in his life, he's going to be a very bad husband. And he's not going to be equipped to love his wife. You cannot withdraw what you didn't deposit. And Jesus is saying here, he's teaching here, that words have incredible power. And of course, he's talking in this context in the negative, right? And he's saying, you know, you say you fool or you you judge your your brother or sister. Anyone who insults his brother will be subject to to hellfire. Words have crazy, crazy power. When somebody tells you you're worthless, when somebody tells you growing up you ain't so smart, when somebody tells you you're a slut, you're fat, you're dumb, you're ugly, whatever, that you'll be nothing, you'll do nothing, we act like we can just let this stuff wash off of us, but that's not how it works. And Jesus knew that. We need new mouths that come from new hearts. Amen? We need new mouths that come from new hearts. And we also, we need new hands. What you feel, what you say, what you do, all have different consequences. Jesus is calling you to a new heart here, but he's also warning you of the consequences of just living out in your flesh. So he gives two pictures in this text. He gives you the picture of the courthouse and the church house, right? And in the courthouse, we can relate to this. He's saying when you're on the way with somebody that's your enemy and you're on your way to the courthouse, settle before you get to the courthouse. So last night, I stayed up way too late to watch Conor McGregor fight, right? And he did some dumb stuff, got into some trouble, threw a dolly at a bus, salted some people. You know what? We, we understand what people do in those situations. What do you do? You don't, you don't let have people take you all the way to court. If it's possible, you pay them off. If it's possible, you settle it quickly. You don't let it go all the way to court. 
And, and here, here we're learning a principle, and it's not just about when you go to court, okay? <laughs> this is not just Jesus' less Jesus' teaching for when you go to court. Hey, settle. If you're guilty, settle outside of court. That's like that's not the ex- full extent of what Jesus is teaching here. He's trying to teach us that we need to walk in peace with everyone in this world. So maybe you have somebody you're working with and you weren't in the in crowd and you got overlooked, you got taken advantage of, you got taken for granted and an opportunity for a promotion comes up and you're just left in the dust. Anybody ever experienced anything like that? I, I know people have. Maybe, maybe somebody didn't live up to what you thought they would be. And they said, I'm going to take you along and make you this or that. And it doesn't work out. You have different options here. You can just sit and harbor feelings of anger silently and let it define your entire life. But anger is a funny thing. Anger is like a fire that you hold in your hands. And the one who gets burnt the most is actually you. You think you're going to throw it at your adversary. You think you're going to really light them up. And maybe you get a chance to do that. But for the most part, the one who gets hurt the most is you. And maybe it's somebody on your block. Somebody constantly fighting, causing drama. You know, making your house smell a certain way that you want it to smell like all the time, right? (laughs) And it's just like you just live with it month after month after month. So what are you going to do? You're going to quietly judge the people you live near for like decades? Listen, it's the dumbest thing. It's the dumbest, it's the biggest waste of time. You have different options. You can go say something. You can go do something about it and it might not work out for you. Or you can be resigned about it, but you can't sit there and just allow anger to consume you. But then we have this picture of the church house. And for the, for, the, for the family of God, we're not called just to walk at peace, walk in peace with everybody, walk in harmony, but we're actually called to a higher standard. We're called to walk in love. And Jesus gives this picture of the altar. Now Jesus is teaching probably in Galilee. So when he says, leave your gift at the altar, if you've got a problem with somebody back home, He's giving this pretty vivid picture, pretty radical picture. You're giving your offering in Jerusalem. And you remember, on your way to give the offering, you remember, wow, okay, I have this problem with so-and-so, and and I'm really feeling guilty about it, and I want to do something about it. Because, by the way, sometimes you think you're good with everybody and you don't think about it, and you're in church, and it's time to come, you know, to the Lord's table. And it's then that you're like, oh, crap. (laughs) I thought I was good, but actually, yeah, like now I'm remembering that I'm beefing with my uncle or whoever, right? That happens. And Jesus is saying, leave your gift, come all the way home. 
make it right, then go back and give your offering. All right? And so this is a very practical teaching for us. We are called not just to live in harmony because you can only, you can, you can love people in your world for sure. You love your family. You love your friends. But you cannot make everyone be in a relationship where you trust and love them, right? You can't do that. But in the church, we have this, we have this um, verse written on the side of our wall in our house that my wife wrote on the side of the wall. And it says, it's from 1 John. And it says, how can anybody say that they love God who they've never seen, but they hate their brother who they have seen? You can't, you can't do that. You can't. And, and the thing is, in the church, we have the capability to love each other. We should. We should be in relationship. We shouldn't just be, you know, our goal should be a little higher than just no drama. Our goal should be to be brothers and sisters, supporting each other, loving each other. And so when you come up here to this table, I pray that if you've got a problem with somebody in the church, that you deal with that. And don't be embarrassed to deal with that right here, right in the room. Or if it's not possible, to wait, to wait. Because Jesus says, stop and deal with the issue you have with your brother or your sister. Let me conclude with this. It all starts in the heart. It overflows to the mouth, right? And then it comes out in the hands, in your actions and what you're going to do. Again, you, you, can't, you can't get into heaven. I said this last week. You can't get into heaven without this new heart. That's a huge teaching in Jesus that Jesus is trying to press on us. And the irony here, the irony here is the use of the word hellfire, right? In this text. If you insult your brother or sister, you're guilty. You're, you're in danger of hellfire. Like a lot of times we hear that and we're like, all right, Pastor Joe, that's where you've lost me. Because I enjoy making fun of my brother and sister. I enjoy saying the nastiest things. It's like, what are you talking about? This just seems like Jesus is just being really over the top, something. He's going a place I can't follow. But, but this is what it actually is. First of all, there's some cultural distance on these words. There's, there's a bite. There's something different here in these words. that We, are, we have become desensitized and we, we use different words and we, are, we use a totally different language. But the, the words that Jesus uses here are as graphic as you can imagine for the day that he's speaking. And what we do when we curse out somebody that we are called to love is that we're saying we wish you didn't exist. In our moment of anger, we do commit murder in our hearts. In our moment of anger, we do say, that person would be better if you weren't here. And the ironic thing is, is that we're yelling at somebody, you know, go to hell, but it's actually us 
that's in danger of just being consumed by that hate. And actually, it's us that's in danger of not knowing God and being ourselves under the judgment of God. Let's pray for heaven to break in, not for hell to break out of our lives. And, and, and like, I want to move it from you personally, and I want to move it to us as a community. You know, just like my, my brother Chris from back in the day, he needed hope, he needed love, he needed faith. He needed healing that would grow out and up and overflow into his life. And what I am asking us to do is to be the spot that we conquer anger together because we can't do it alone. We can't do it alone. Now, look at the back of your bulletin. You have this quote by this guy named Henry Nowen. He says, did I offer peace today? Did I bring a smile to someone's face? Did I say words of healing? Did I let go of my anger and resentment? Did I forgive? Did I love? These are the real questions. I must trust that the little bits of love I sow now will bear many fruits here in this world and the life to come. The, the thing is, is that you and I, we have to see that how we love people or what we say to people, it matters not just in this life, but it matters forever. And when you know that the deposits of love matter forever, you're gonna be able to plow through lot of stuff. You're going to be able to hang on to hope. You're, you're going to be able to love people even when they're not loving you. So we are called to live a life of love and not a life of hate. We are called to live like Jesus. Jesus was the one who died for every single person in this room and he loved us with a dying love. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that we would be a place that helps people. I pray we just be a depositing church. Like this would be the spot. It's like go into the bank and making deposits of love. That we would come week in, week out. We would come to study on Tuesday nights, we would be in each other's lives and we would be saying things. And we wouldn't just be doing it thinking that, well, if I say something encouraging, it'll be good maybe for that day. But we would believe that our deposits of good words, our deposits of love actually matter, not just in this life, but matter forever. But we would likewise be warned and be in the right way, scared of the fact that our casting people away, our judgmental words, our words of insult, they also matter and weigh people down and don't just affect them in this life. And they certainly don't just affect us in this life, but affect us forever. Lord, help us do the, the hard work in our hearts to root out ungodly anger. In Jesus' name, amen.